When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's Film Study with Tim McCusick. Uh, One more time to look at a regular season game as we look back to Week 17, the 26-24 victory in Baltimore over the Cleveland Browns. Tim McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I mean, it's, what is it, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you're listening to this, and we get to talk about playoff football in just a couple of days. So it's a good time to be a Ravens fan. Yeah, very cool. So it is Tuesday here as we record this, yes. which might be important for things we discuss. Anyway, some people have that. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, so we're going to look back on this episode at this game that was really, we're going to focus on the offense. And really the storyline going into this 
is it's two rookie quarterbacks. And yes, Mayfield was taken number one overall, but it's two rookie quarterbacks who are expected to lead their franchises for the next uh, few years and be the future of this AFC North. Yeah, very much so. And and uh, we got a great glimpse into it. I thought both quarterbacks played certainly a very significant lead role, as you would expect, in this outcome. Mayfield, uh, a terrific game and really looks like a he looks like the real deal in every way. You know, I'm sorry to say it that he's going to be around for a while. We heard Ben Roethlisberger was retiring, and you know, or not retiring, but is, is you know may contemplate retirement this offseason, right. which is by the way what he says every year. But the, what I wanted to hear was oh, Baker Mayfield might be retiring. It would be much better news for us because he's obviously going to be around for a long time, and there are a lot of good young quarterbacks now in the AFC replacing that old guard. Um, you know, that included Manning at one time and obviously Brady and uh, Roethlisberger, who have been thorns in the Ravens side in the playoffs for years. It is. It's the changing of the guard in the AFC North with uh, rumors of Antonio Brown and Bell leaving the Steelers, with Flacco leaving the Ravens, with the Browns now apparently deciding to be good, and then the Bengals <laughs> letting Marvin Lewis go. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a change. Yeah, so the Bengals are going to go through an alteration as well. Andy Dalton won't be around that much longer, I don't think. Uh, you know, I don't know what they'll do with Green, but he's now an older guy with a very big contract, so they've got to question whether or not he'll be around for a long time. I'm loving what's happening with the Steelers, of course, and the fact that they that really have mess. Brown. It's a mess. They have Brown for $20 million next year, $21, 22000000 million, actually, and they really can't get rid of that contract. They, they, If they trade him, I, th- I think he actually costs $1 million less to to trade him or or release him that it costs to keep him, so okay. no, they can't get rid of him, and you know obviously he's he's uh, got some problems with the rest of that clubhouse right now. A lot of people are saying it's Ben's fault. A lot of people are saying it's Brown's fault. I love it. I love that ambiguity there that it could be either of their fault, and uh, and hopefully that'll uh, allow that uh, cancer to fester there. Right. Well, no matter what. When there's a cancer in the clubhouse like that, you got to look at Tomlin, and you got to say it all starts with Tomlin. Yeah, I, I have a lot of people are saying that is that the the culture basically has been one of enablement that they've allowed the individual diva players, and all three of them, Bell, Brown, Roethlisberger, all all three of them significant egos. You know, they wanted to to have it be there. Brown reportedly more than any other. Steeler has been a stats guy and a guy in, in, interested in personal accolades, uh, but they've they've allowed that to happen. Tomlin hasn't suppressed it. If if it were Harbaugh, first of all, you know the, the offense would be such that that you'd be running out the clock from the from the beginning of the second quarter anyway. You know, trying to sit on the lead with your defense, right. and he, and and it wouldn't matter. Nobody'd be getting as many opportunities. And then if, further than that, if you acted this way, you'd be in this doghouse and you'd be you'd be sat down for a while. Right and. Yeah, um, am I getting I, – I record two shows on Monday nights, Film Study and Section 336, so sometimes they blend together. Uh, was it on this show or it might have been on Section 336 where we were talking about how great of a job Harbaugh did just keeping peace in the locker room? I think I think we did some of that. We were talking about you know transitioning yeah. from one quarterback to another and completely different offense, the fact that he held the team together through right. that, and the divisiveness. I think the divisiveness is more a matter of the – fan base certainly at this totally. point but but even even in, there were certainly Flacco had his supporters within the clubhouse who thought that you know he probably should have gotten a, a, a chance when the when the uh when when he came back from his injury and Lamar was the starter 
But you know, regardless of the of, of the thing, the Harbaugh did a terrific job holding the clubhouse together, and you haven't heard those internal dissent, even if they do exist. You know, I mean, this is a team where dissent could be a possibility because the defense is very much carrying this team. They enable uh, Lamar to run the offense as they did. I mean, it was more extreme in 2000 when the offense didn't do anything for five weeks and the defense was completely carrying the team, still won two of those games. But even even today, you know, with the, with the turnover uh, issues that Lamar has had, it could easily be a, a, a situation where the, the defense would be pointing to the offense if the Ravens weren't winning. Now, fortunately, they're winning. All the pieces fit together beautifully, as it is like that, as it always happens when you win. Right. And there's no question here. You lose a game in Oakland, like the Steelers did, and you lose some other games, you know, down the stretch that make you look bad. And all of a sudden... You every grievance, player to player, player to organization, fans to everybody comes out of the woodwork to basically be open for discussion. Right. There was a great report this morning on uh, Good Morning Football on the NFL Network uh, talking about Joe Flacco and about how Joe and John went out shortly after the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson. And uh, John Harbaugh's idea was he was going to go out and console Joe but before he could any, even say anything, Joe said, I understand what you guys are doing, that you got to look to the future, and I will not be in the way of Lamar. I'll do whatever I can do to help out and be part of the team, and the Ravens come first before me. And that's uh, something that I haven't heard yet about Joe that uh, I think shows a lot of that leadership in the clubhouse. I, I hadn't heard it either. I, I hope that is not revisionist in any way, but there, there hasn't been anything in Flacco's behavior that would be indicative of him being an obstacle or a pain in the butt or uh, you know not not good in the quarterback's room. Yes. The, the only thing that people would point to maybe from early in the season is that Flacco looked very unenthusiastic on some of the Lamar Jackson and Joe on the field plays. Right. And there were other things they could have done, but I think that they just – they did not scheme for him to potentially, you know, move backwards and accept the ball and then have a second forward pass opportunity, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't think it was a matter of, of Flacco, you know, being upset with the process. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it was a matter of Joe doesn't know how to be a wide receiver and you're putting him yeah. out as a wide receiver. Well, there you go. So let's look at these future quarterbacks because Mayfield and Lamar, they, though we're going to look and they're going to lead this AFC North hopefully in the future and have some great battles in the future, they've got two different styles of football they're playing. Oh, very much so. So Mayfield, obviously in this game, I'm sure more than any other game so far this year that he's played, uh, really shredded the Ravens' defense with multiple vertical routes and the Ravens either having a safety bite, commit, get duped, whatever it might have been, into being in the wrong place. And the, the Browns have very effectively used their speed on the outside uh, to uh, beat the Ravens deep. And uh, play after play went deep. I mean, they, even some of their not faster targets, like Njoku, made really good plays when the corners were on them. And in particular, I'm thinking of the 42-yard pass to Njoku, where Humphrey was in a position where normally he would easily defense that ball and punch it out. But somehow, Njoku got to a higher point, which is not hard to imagine why that might happen. But Humphrey was still not able to get the strip. Getting back to Mayfield, though, uh, you know, he's he's a uh, take the shot down the field, take chances, uh, you know, throw uh, on the run as needed, but also just throw deep from the pocket very effectively. And when the Ravens gave him ample time and space in particular, he was just monstrous. He had 
281 yards on 19 passes with ample time and space. He One of those 19 was a 93-yard pass that should have been that bopped off the back of Landry's helmet. So he really should have had 374. That's almost 20 yards per throw on ATS. Even at 14.8, it's very impressive. But but it, almost, it could have been almost 20 yards very easily. And he really, he was the... He's going to be around for a long time, and he's going to be a very difficult opponent to work with. I think the Ravens have started, you know, examining a blueprint for how to stop him by continuously getting in his face. As a shorter quarterback, he may be bothered by that, but but anyway, he definitely can take you all the way down the field any play. Whereas, if you look at the other side of the ball, Lamar Jackson, you know, the game plan, everything about it is different. Obviously, his main asset that he brings to the field is the ability to completely loosen up the field for all sorts of offensive plays but primarily the run game. And so his ability is that you, you, the edge defenders can't really pinch as well. The defenders in the middle are they're not, they're not frozen, but they have to be you know, more concerned about multiple gap responsibilities because they, they can't just decide they want to penetrate in one direction or the other. That could be exactly what Jackson wants, to, to rip off a big run. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and since they always run out of this mesh and, and option, whether it's a, a read option on two different run choices – or a, re- or a run pass option that they have, you know, it's always going to be a lots of additional choices that that offense has. And I think Jackson is going to get better and better at making those decisions. But right now, the offense is more of a contain, the, keep the ball, have a high percentage of third downs converted because the third downs you have tend to be much shorter, and you have many more offensive snaps than the opponent. And the Ravens defensively are extremely well suited to take advantage of that. Uh, very well, because when the other team has few snaps, the Ravens' defense is extremely well-rested. They already rotate a lot, and you end up with some very, very hungry players who haven't played a lot of snaps, getting on the field and trying to make plays every time they're on. It's just a great situation to have defensively. Uh, yeah, of course. And all right, So then on the other side, I guess with that constant running game that the, the Ravens are doing, um, how, is that something you think will continue with the future, or do you think there's a lot of call for the fans to want to see Lamar throw the ball more and give Lamar not play conservative with Lamar? Yeah, I mean, I, they will definitely throw the ball more with Lamar, and they'll have to find ways to get the ball in the hands of other playmakers who are not Lamar because keeping it in Lamar's hands is just too dangerous. I mean, he, he will get hurt at some point. Um, and obviously, he runs the risk of getting hurt as a pocket passer as well. But I, I like his chances a little bit more there, at least, uh, to, to avoid the big hit. Uh, but anyway, he is, he's, it is what he is. He's, at some point in his career, he's certainly going to get hurt, uh, and the Ravens are going to have a real hard time rebuilding the offense while he's out to be effective right. uh, you know, in that situation. I do think Lamar is actually an ideal quarterback for this organization to maintain their defensive philosophy. He's obviously made some very average running backs very good. Uh, in this system, you know they they haven't yeah. they don't have Saquon Barkley they don't have an, a young Adrian Peterson they don't have any they don't have any great running back here they have some running backs obviously Edwards is UDFA and he's leading the team in rushing or very close to it and you know they they have Dixon who's basically hasn't played very much in three years uh, you know with the Ravens but but was ripped off a bunch of big runs in this game uh, he's he's an ideal quarterback to have. Some of your skill position players, specifically the running backs, 
be not world beaters. And I also, I, I also don't think you need to have a truly expensive tight end in the system either. They do have a first rounder now, but I don't think you need to have a truly expensive tight end. I think you want a bunch of guys who can certainly block and do a, a couple other things well, but you don't need to, you don't need to have all $4 signed tight ends who are like Gronkowski and can block or, you know, go for passes or whatever. Oh yeah. And we're seeing that with, uh, with Mark Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark Andrews is a, he has a, a, it's a, it's a solid skill set. I really like him as a receiver, but Hurst was, was drafted ahead of him because he, people thought he had a more balanced skill set. Right. Frankly, thought he was a little bit better pass catcher. I don't know that we've really seen that so far, but also thought that he could block more and probably could break tackles a little better. I think, you know, what we've seen at the NFL level is there's not that much difference between the two of them in terms of, of, of ability. Andrews has become, uh, has, has developed that connection with Jackson in terms of knowing how to break free after the pocket is broken down. And, and that's been quite valuable. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's, it's a case of you don't have to have the highest end skill position players around Lamar. Right. And, and, that's part of even if you're not a Ravens fan, that's what's making this uh, playoff run for the Ravens exciting because it's a different style of football. It's not the pass. It's not quarterback heavy. It's something we haven't seen in a really long time, and it makes people keep comparing it to the 1977 Bears. There you go. Well, the 77 Bears, they, they certainly have uh, have a place in history themselves. They, that was a, a Walter Payton, of course, was on that team. The second back on that team was Roland Harper. But in a seven-game stretch, and they had this as a graphic on TV, the Bears rushed for 1,653 yards in a seven-game stretch. Now, the Ravens have rushed for 1,607 yards in the last seven games. So the last team to do that in one season with more was the 77 Bears. I looked at the 77 Bears actual stops because I'm always kind of interested in this thing. The Bears are at the end of their juicy um, run of rush games on, on both sides. So the next game eight that they have will be a 118 and game nine will be a 170, which are, you know, great games by any, by any account, but are far less than what the Ravens have been averaging. So if the Ravens continue this for a couple more games and obviously they're going to be playing playoff teams, so it's not right. easy, uh, then they'll, they'll surpass the 77 Bears. Uh, probably in this next game. So, any case, uh, this was a game where I just loved the amount of, of long runs that the Ravens had. I mean, I'm at the, I'm at the stadium and I'm just, I, I cannot believe it, but Dixon had four runs of 10 plus. He had 37, 20, 15, and 13. Jackson ran for 25 and 24, but he also had that 33 yard play negated. It was called back on the, on the call by Williams. Edwards had runs of 24, 18, and 12. Montgomery had an 11-yard run. I mean, you add that all up together, that's 10 runs plus one of that was negated of 10-plus yards, actually of 11-plus yards. So I just – I can never remember anything like that. I mean, I, I haven't seen any team do something like that. It's 300 yards rushing. I know there have been higher individual game rushing totals, but uh, this was pretty amazing. Even if you go back to uh, – the 295-yard game for Lamar, which is almost the exact – sorry, not Lamar, for Jamal, yep. which is almost the exact same total as the Ravens had as a team rushing in this game. He only had, I believe, six rushes of 10 or more yards in that game. So the Ravens had 10 in this game. Obviously, they're shorter ones, but uh, but still very impressive that they're able to consistently be breaking through into level two. One of the things that I did expect was the Ravens gonna, were going to have good success with the Browns linebackers, Collins and Schobert. Neither one of them is a particularly good tackler. And, and hopefully be able to take advantage of those guys in level two. Honestly, I'd say it was more a, a case of they were more open 
in level two than they've ever been during the during the seven games Jackson has played. Jackson also, who had been sprinting to the edge to beat the defenses most of these times, while allowing a lot of the interior rushing to be done by Edwards and Dixon to slash off off tackle a little bit. This game, Jack, they switched it up and Jackson ran up the middle a bunch. And he was incredibly effective doing it. So I just I love the fact that the Ravens seem to be at a, able to add a new wrinkle every week to their running game, and it seems to be consistently befuddling opposing teams. Right, and we're starting to see uh, teams adjust, and we saw the Browns make a halftime adjustment, and normally we don't get to uh, mailbag questions until the mailbag segment at the end, but this seems like a good point to bring in Edgar's question, who says, please talk about that D-line adjustment made by Cleveland late in the game where they would tighten up the line uh, a second before the snap, it seemed to throw the running game off a little bit. Do you think someone has figured out a way to stop us, and how do we then counter that? Yeah, it's an excellent point. That's Edgar. Um, it's it's one of those things that you got to really credit Greg Williams with figuring this out on the fly because I don't think they even made the adjustment at halftime. I think it was more like at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, but the Ravens didn't have a good second half in terms of offense. They only scored six points. Uh, they basically were able to drive up and down the field at will in the first half. And what what Edgar's talking about is they they had a a situation with four down linemen where they would be spread out in their normal four three alignment, which is fairly wide, which means your outside ends are outside the tackle on one side, a tight end on the other side, typically. So at a five and seven tech, and they would move this to where they would have four guys who were effectively between a four and a four tech, meaning they're, they're four guys over the five guys from tackle to tackle. That creates a lot of problems in terms of policing those gaps and in terms of obviously having a, just a very tight defense for any kind of interior running game. So it was a, it was a, it was a very, very impressive that Greg Williams was able to make that on the fly. What the Ravens are going to have to do, because San Diego may look to mimic it since it worked, the Ravens are going to have to find ways to uh, have a hot call against such a defense. So you need to have something which gets the ball to the outside quickly and that you can call in any of your standard formational alignments. And since the Ravens typically like to have um, either two or three tight ends plus one wide receiver and one uh, uh, one or two wide receivers, I should say, and one running back, they need to figure out some, some way where in any of those formations that they may run offensively, they have a play to call against such a thing. Demonstrate to the league you can't play this against the Ravens and and beat it quickly because if they don't if if San Diego, or San Diego the Chargers have some success against the Ravens with that that formula it's it's going to be a might be a short playoffs for the Ravens but even if they get past this game other teams are going to be looking to duplicate what they've got so uh, they're going to have to figure out how to beat that very quickly a great point Edgar it definitely was something that uh, that hurt the Ravens and and you didn't figure you hope the Ravens wouldn't have a three and out on that last drive. Um, and then they ended up with a silly little pitch play that almost cost them the game with that fumble. But it, it was definitely a case where uh, you know we'd like to see the Ravens have some option other than just the traditional pitch or run up the middle to try and power for that first down. They needed something else in terms of a pass play uh, to get past a defensive lineman that effectively sold out against the run that, like that. Right. You mentioned uh, that... Uh, Marty did a good job adjusting to it, and it makes me think about the fact that uh, he sees this offense every day. Our defense goes up against this defense every day at practice. 
you would think maybe we saw this as an option of, hey, someone could pull this against us weeks ago, and we've been waiting for another team to figure this out. Uh, you would think you're at least looking in that of how would if I were playing the Ravens, how would I beat the Ravens and try to prepare for that? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. I don't really know how much competitive uh, stylistic changes right. they want to make to their own defense that they're not otherwise going to use because good the other point. team doesn't have Lamar Jackson. Good so, point. So they, yes. but, but they, but, they but should the, try that. They should. You would think the B squad or someone they yeah, would the scout have, team. Yeah, yeah, the scout team. That would be the term. And uh, yeah. you think they would have those guys playing? Hey, try to break this. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, you need that kind of quality control, and and you're absolutely right. Is is you need to find a way to to do that. I, I'm sure the, the good thing about it is it came up in this game and the Ravens still won. And now right. they can they can self scout and figure out what went wrong here. Why couldn't we find a way to beat this? And oh hey, we need six plays ready to go that are all have one word calls so Lamar can make them at the line of scrimmage. Yes, and you immediately jump into whatever it might be to to beat that look. Right, and you know what? You don't even need the scout team because you've got a a building full of coaches. All you got to do is go across the hall and say, hey, how would you beat us? Right. I mean, we've we've got a great defensive minds already in the building. We don't have to practice it. Just give us some tips. Well, the idea would be that if you do just hand that task over the defense to 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 basically align for it, that your offense can face live fire and they can decide what the, what yes. do we have to do in in uh, anyway. I, I think there's reasons to do it both ways, but I, but you're right. I mean, the the obvious way in short. You know, with a relatively short amount of time to practice before this enormous game, would be to just figure it out on the whiteboard. Right. Try and immediately go to to do some different looks and force the scout team to play defense a certain way. And and that's part of the advantage. Um, as we're going to soon look forward to the Chargers game, but we did a whole lot of scout work two weeks ago. The Chargers did a whole lot of scout work two weeks ago. So you're going to keep all that same scout work, and now you're trying to be like, all right, how do I twist and adjust slightly from the last time? Yeah, uh, you're you're right. I mean, it makes the job less, and unfortunately, I think it probably tremendously favors the team that lost the first right. game, right? Because they already know what didn't work, yes. and they, they they can make the adjustments there. So anyway, right. All right, let's get into uh, let's get into the game a little bit more, and let's start with the passing game. And we always go down with ample time and space, even though it's not Joe. Uh, Lamar's a little trickier to figure out the ample time and space, but how do he do? Yeah, so anyway, ample time space, 6 of, of 26 only, which is very low, 23%. Um, it's a couple things going on here. First of all, the, the Browns very much want to get somebody in and on top of Jackson so they can force decisions in the in the passing game, but also so they can break up any read option plays as quickly as possible. So some of this is like they don't know whether it's a, a run or pass to start with, and they, they just know they want to get into the backfield quickly, and they'll sacrifice – people on the back end to do it. So it's this is not all a case of the offensive line not doing its job. In fact, the offensive line had a very good game. But the it was it was a case of them gambling with Jabril Peppers on a lot of plays to get him in the backfield in particular, uh, them winning some one-on-one matchups against the offensive line. That did happen, uh, particularly on the inside. Ogunjobi had a very good game uh, against Matt Skura. So yeah, you have various things occurring uh, there. You just got to credit their scheme and, and their – um, uh, you know their uh, ability of their players. So anyway, the six. What was interesting to me was Jackson had not been that effective with ample time and space so far this year. But in the six plays he had ample time and space in this one, it passes of eleven, twenty-eight, an incomplete, a pass for nine, 
a pass for 25, and a pass for 8. So he's quite effective. Completed 5 out of 6, obviously very good average yardage on those plays. And that's counter to what had happened earlier. He had had a, a several inverted games, and I'm uh, still trying to get my arms around uh, around some of this and why it should be better with Lamar, but he was doing better with extended plays. Had a couple of good extended plays in this game, and, and notably the, the throw down the right sideline to Andrews uh, was a very big one, and, uh, and that helped him get in a field goal range. Uh, just some good... Um, uh, you know, plays that were extended there by Jackson. I, I think that um, as this game goes forward, uh, as as his career goes forward, I guess I should say that they're going to have to look for other ways to slow down the pass rush with him. Some of that will be play action. Some of it will be hot reads and him, him being able to get rid of the ball quickly to a playmaker in space. Uh, some of it will be getting the ball to the edge. And, you know, all the other quarterbacks, particularly the ones who, who stand in the pocket a lot, have an array of, of weapons that they can use to do just that. So Jackson will pick that up as time goes on. Right now, you know, he, he's a lot of his passes are coming off these run pass option plays. Uh, there's one in particular in this game where the Ravens pulled both the right guard and right tackle to the left. And Jackson decided it'd be better to pass the ball. Well, he's already compromised the pocket personally. By doing that, so to decide to pass, you better get rid of that ball quickly, and it's obviously not going to be ample time and space when you do. Right. Um, Cleveland was sending, kept seemed to send peppers in. Is that something different than other teams were doing? Um, I, I think other teams have tried it with with various players, whether it's whether it's peppers. The, the The Browns had a corner blitz in this game. You rarely see those, and I'm not talking about a slot corner blitz because because a lot of teams run the slot corner blitz just e- even when the uh, the slot receiver is not too far wide, they'll do it. But they ran a, a true corner blitz, an outside corner blitz in this game, which was a good example of getting someone to the backfield. So, you know, we mentioned Peppers, but it wasn't just Peppers they were trying to get in. They were trying to get other players in the backfield to make sure that Lamar was as disrupted as he could be. All right. Um, we talk about wide receivers and them not getting the ball as much as they used to. There were 10 targets, six receptions. Um, 71 yards. I know, at least in my memory, I can remi- remember one that uh, Lamar threw short and bounced the Sneed. Were these other uh, dropped balls, or is it still a uh, issue with Lamar getting the ball to the right spot? I think it's more an issue of just how focused Lamar is on throwing outside the numbers is not very much. And so receivers uh, having to make plays inside the numbers is not necessarily what they're used to doing. Uh, you know, just to, to give you one example, Crabtree in Oakland last year had 74% of his targets outside the numbers. Well, if Lamar doesn't throw outside the numbers very often, that leaves Crabtree out of a lot of the offense. Now, Crabtree did make catches in the middle of the field. He made two catches in this game on his only two targets. Uh, you know, Moore had two out of three. We had Brown got only three targets with one reception. I think Brown now is eight for 29 in the Lamar era in okay. terms of receptions and targets in seven weeks. I mean, he just cannot be happy. Brown and Crabtree, as I understand it, both missed bonuses for catches. And sure. Crabtree, Crabtree needed six, I think, and he got two in this well, game. Well, that's Crabtree's own fault. He's dropped a yeah. lot of balls this season. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, that, and not only were those drops, those also reduced the confidence the the quarterbacks yes. had in him. So it's, it's he, he could have probably made it up on drops alone, but he certainly could have made it up on drops plus additional opportunities from not dropping. That's all right. They got playoff bonuses, so they'll be okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the offensive line. We always uh, 
go through one guy at a time. And I want to start with Stanley because it seemed like he was having a pretty good game on Sunday. Yeah, he was until came along with an oddball play where he obviously didn't know the snap count and didn't get out of his snap and gave up just a ridiculously easy sack to Miles Garrett. So that was uh, late in the half and uh, on their on their last drive where they were uh, uh, not going anywhere and they gave up a seven yard sack. And uh, it just it's it was a strange play. He obviously was uh, self-effacing. That's not the right word. Mad at himself after the play about about what had happened. And uh, I think he, he he was asking the question of what was the snap count there. But he otherwise had a very good game. So so that's really uh, uh, the the big black mark on him. He did have a false start. He only had one other partial pressure event. It was a half quarterback hit, uh, which is which is very good at right at, at either tackle spot. And he graded out a, a B overall. Real interesting thing is he had four to five pulls in this game. So uh, they, they're definitely using him for more more for mobility. Another key thing here is the Ravens run almost everything up the middle or to the right. They don't really run left very much. And when they do run left, they're running left oftentimes with Jackson. Well, what that means is that Stanley's athleticism is really taxed in terms of having to get to level two and make a block there or find useful some useful uh, way to serve uh, there. And right tackles, because they tend to be slower afoot, miss a lot of blocks because of that. But, uh, but this is, it's good to, that Stanley missed only four blocks in this game, despite the fact that there were a lot of opportunities for missed block by the fact that blocks by the fact that the Ravens run mostly to the right. Okay. Um, Tony Romo was on this call, and I love when Tony Romo's making the call because there's a football player talking about what's yeah. going on. And he made sure to point out that Hurst was pulling most of the game. Oh, yeah. So that's a great point. Now, Hurst in this game tied the record for the most polls I've ever scored in a game. So I've been doing this now since 2008 through 2007, really, but 2008 for, for every single game. And and it's 11 years, the entire Harbaugh era. The most ever polls in a game was 19, and that was by Yonda in the AFC wildcard game at New England in 2009. And Yonda in that game made 15 out of 19 polls. The Ravens ran wild for 250 or so yards um, and that was a game, of course, that had Ray Rice's uh, 83-yard touchdown on the very first play from scrimmage, and the, and the Ravens went on to win 33-14. Anyway, that that game, Yonda made 15 of 19 pulls. In this game, Hurst played 52 plays, so he didn't play all the plays. He had 19 pulls, and he made 16 of them. So truly a great mobility performance from James Hurst in this game. And he, he obviously he's a guy who's been struggling the last three weeks, hadn't played that well, uh, but this was a good game for him. Nice bounce-back game, and to make 16 out of 19 pulls uh, in one game. The offense was really very much, he was the fulcrum in terms of making sure that they have that, that power run game working when he moves from left to right. And those 11 runs, he had a big hand in a lot of them pulling to help lead some of those longer runs in the game. So very... Very effective game from James Hurst from that perspective. As a pass blocker, he had a couple of mistakes, uh, half a pressure, half a quarterback hit. That's not too serious. I do scored him for missing seven blocks. Now, the ones in level two that, that are on the poles are honestly not that serious. Other ones where he gets beat at the line of scrimmage are more serious. And he didn't have too much of a problem with that. I do notice looks like at least one in here fell into that category. But 
good bounce back game from James Hurst. Gets a B minus overall for the effort, and uh, and that uh, 19 pulls is really something from uh, from left guard for one game. All right, how'd Matt Skura do at center? All right, so Skura had uh, been on a great run before he talked to us, and unfortunately, um, he he then had a poor game. Bounced back with a good game. This game, he had a lot of trouble on the inside with uh, Ogunjobi, who is a uh, a fairly effective low pad level pass rusher who plays DTNT, and uh, he he got him for three and a half pressures during this game in total. I'm thinking of all these Ogunjobi or one of them might have been Miles Garrett stunning to the inside. Yep, one was Miles Garrett stunning to the inside. Uh, tossed that in with four missed blocks. He also had a false start on the first uh, play from scrimmage. So he ended up with a, a, a .75 raw score with adjustment. That's a C minus. Uh, so you know, I'm not saying it was the easiest opponent there. Ogunjobi is talented, but I would think that uh, you know Skura has got to play better than he did there, and he had been playing better. So I think he'll he'll be back. I, I do think he did a very good job with his run blocking duties in this game, as opposed to the pass blocking. Obviously, the penalty and the and the three and a half pressures were most of what reduced his score. So. Um, you know, overall, I, I think Matt would say he can do better, and uh, and hopefully he will. All right. Well, Yanda is a guy who continues to do exactly what we're paying him to do. Yeah, and no no negative event in this game. So really outstanding game by Marshall. Uh, the first A plus I have awarded this year. I have to go back and make sure that's that's true, but I believe that's true. Uh, so uh, he had three missed blocks, but I give him a, a, a subjective adjustment of point oh four, which makes his score perfect again. Uh, interestingly enough, Hurst, you know, we mentioned had 16 of 19 pulls going from left to right. Yanda only once was asked to pull from right to left, so made his only pull going that way. He'd been having a tough time, frankly, with that this year is, is uh, finding blocks on his pulls. So it's good to see him, uh, you know, basically being used as the blocker that powers and uh, creates that nice inside seal, the proper kick out, whatever it might be. Uh, to to run that power game to the right. All right. Uh, PFF says that Orlando Brown has not given up a single sack this season in ten games. Uh, I hate I hate hearing this. And I see you, you bring this up, and it's like you might as well have like tickled me in the stomach with a feather or I something, mean, or give me a, whatever it might be. It's it's just it's kind of annoying to me. So anyway, PFF does not does not score partial events. Is that the so problem? Only, that's the problem. So they'll only give an integer. So I'll tell you what, the correct number of sacks for the year for Orlando Brown, he's actually been party to five sacks each time. He got exactly one-third of those sacks, and he's given up 1.67 sacks for the year. All right. That's my All number right. on Orlando Brown. All so right. it's so okay. You're less, know. less than two for 10 games is still uh, – I'm going to take that. How do you do yeah. on Sunday? I mean, just, just just start. There's no need for exaggeration here. Orlando Brown has had an outstanding rookie year. There's no reason why – we need inflammatory statistics like he's had zero sacks for the entire year. Right. It's just if, – if you – by the way, if you go and look at PFF, I won't say what it is because I'm not supposed to report what PFF stats – what PFF scoring is. So you can go look for yourself. But the Ravens have had 32 sacks on the year. Go take a look at how many PFF has assigned to linemen for this year. And you go put it up on – tack okay. it on as a comment to, to this article. Somebody could do that. I can't say, but you can. Go ahead and take a look at that. All right. So you're saying the math doesn't work out. It does not. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. But how Anyways, do you do on Sunday? Okay. A game for, for Brown this Sunday. Terrific game. Two pressures allowed, uh, which is, you know, uh, okay for, for a right tackle given this much play. 
I uh, missed four blocks, but it was otherwise perfect. Didn't have any sacks, quarterback hits, no penalties. Uh, was was ideal in the run game. Uh, .86 raw score plus an adjustment gets him easily into the A range. So uh, he continues a very fine season now in 10 games. Uh, actually, I think it might be 11 games that he's played significantly enough to get a grade. Uh, he has not had any grade lower than a C. So that's really a terrific rookie year for Brown. I, I, I just I kind of wish they'd had it figured out from the very beginning that he would have been playing at right tackle. I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but it probably would have made some difference uh, to get him in there from the beginning. Hurst actually played reasonably well at right tackle, but Hurst then could have been playing left guard perhaps and, and, and might have been better than the folks who played there. All right. I saw Bozeman come in and get a false start. Did he do anything else on Sunday? Yeah, so he, he had a good game otherwise. And it was one of these Bozeman games where he gets a lot of mobility plays when he comes in in very short amount of effort. It may even be something that rotation might be actually helping him in order to keep him fresh and keep him able to move and make high-effort blocks. But anyway, he, he uh, had one block in level two. He had three pancakes in only 21 plays. I mean, that's really outstanding. Three pancakes for any game is an outstanding total for a lineman who plays the entire game. But to have three in 21 plays is outstanding. He had three out of three on poles from left guard. So left guard position in this game was 19 of 22 on poles, by far the most I've ever seen. And uh, just outstanding uh, uh, effort there. Uh, yeah, the false start you mentioned, that was his really only negative uh, event of the game and uh, ended up with a B as for, in terms of a grade. All right. Uh, we, um, one more question, one more guy to talk about. And that uh, a guy we don't talk about that often, but did something happen with Chris Moore on Sunday that they started shifting other guys into the return game? Um, you're t- are you talking about the kick return game, yes. right? Yeah, kick, kick return. Yep. And I'm trying to I'm trying to remember who else they had. It's it, it's quite possible that that he was injured, but honestly, I I, I, okay. you know, I didn't look for it specifically. All right. He had three targets. Let me look at his snap co- total on offense. I mean, I was I wasn't sure if there was a like if they needed him more on the offense, but it seemed weird to pull a wide receiver out of that position. It, it is uh, odd. I think uh, he had yeah. Yeah, he had 33 snaps on offense, and I see him with 14 snaps on special teams, but that doesn't really tell me if he was returning fewer kicks. So uh, right. I think I have to file under more investigation required before I give you a meaningful answer. No no problem. Uh, it's just something that came to mind as we were going through this. I think Sneed took one and then a, uh, then a running back as well. Maybe Montgomery? I don't remember. Could have been. Could have been. Yeah, I think Montgomery did return one. It's a yeah. good point. Um so that just stood out to me as odd. But let's look ahead. We play the Chargers on Sunday. Uh, once again, the, the biggest game of uh, for Lamar Jackson, the biggest test for this offense, and a big test for this defense as well to see if they can put up the same defense they did with Phillip Rivers just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. What, what are the Ravens? How do we prepare this week? Well, I think the Ravens are going to need to make a lot of adjustments to win this game. I don't think it's I don't think it'll be an easy game. I think the Chargers actually did a lot of things well in the game. And if you think back to what happened, the Chargers had three offensive holding calls, each of which stalled a drive. They had uh an, an IBW, they had a um what was it, an OPI, uh, offensive pass interference on Allen. Then Allen's continued to argue the play before the next snap right. and and he got a he got an illegal shift penalty because of that. So those six penalties just killed the Chargers in that game. The Ravens can't depend on winning by that formula. They're going to have to keep 
trying to pressure Rivers in a way that will make him ineffective. I think they did kind of find the golden ticket there in terms of doing it. But, you know, also they're going to have new players to deal with. So uh, Hunter Henry, I always want to call him Hunter Harvey for some reason, but Hunter Henry had been very effective the last two years, injured for all of 2018, will finally be returning to play his first game. And that means the Ravens really need to figure out how to match up against him. Antonio Gates, you know, being an older guy, a little slower, easier to match up with than than uh, Henry. And the Ravens will, will have another threat on their hands there that they need to figure out if Jefferson is the guy or if maybe they want to cover him with a cornerback. I don't think they want to try and cover him with a linebacker, but you know, there will be some plays where certainly it will be a linebacker in zone coverage who has to deal with them. So uh, he's a he's a big threat that the that – the, Chargers add to an offense that doesn't have a ton of receiving threats. I, I wish that Hunter Harvey was effective for the last two years. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, and so the other guy is Gordon. We kind of shut down. He, we didn't see much of him uh, two weeks ago. But yeah. uh, that doesn't mean we won't see him on Sunday. Yeah, he'll he'll be there. Um, Melvin Gordon had a very bad game as a pass blocker. The Ravens exploited him, and particularly Patrick Owasu beat him twice for sacks in that last game. So that's nice. You want him on the field. Uh, if if that keeps the, the the Chargers from having him on the field in the passing game, that'd be a very good thing because he's an effective receiver. Um, if you uh, if they otherwise um, you know are able to stop Gordon in the run as they did two weeks ago, they're going to be fine. I think in this game, it's going to really, it'll be very hard for rivers to make up for the chargers being as bad running the ball as they were two weeks ago. So that's Gordon will be a key player for them. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I don't think without Gordon, they have much of a chance to run the ball at all. We'll see, but I wouldn't expect them to be able to run the ball significantly at all without him. So, uh, he probably has to play. I, I asked to, you know, they'll want him to play a lot, and they'll want him to run the ball as often as they can, and not give up on the run. Um, you know, as they as they kind of had to by trailing in this last game. So we'll see how it goes. I think the Ravens will effectively do the same thing in terms of continuing to play their nickel and just say, "I dare you to run the ball on us," because we don't think there's anyone who can run on our nickel. Um, uh, because our linemen are too dominant, our outside guys are too good at containing the run, and our and our linebackers are pretty good at getting after it too. All right, so if we shut down the run again, the pressure is back on Phillips Rivers. Uh, hopefully, that means we see more of him whining and uh, being a head case. But what does he yeah. have to do differently? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing for Rivers is he needs to to be able to find the hot reads that'll keep the Ravens from getting him on in his face on every play. I mean, he, obviously the Ravens found that that ticket is get in that backfield, get get Rivers off the spot. He's extremely uncomfortable, and Rivers had his worst game of the year by far. Uh, if they if they can create that kind of atmosphere where he's uncomfortable from the get-go in this game, it'll be a long afternoon for Rivers, and or a long morning if you're a, if you're a L.A. Chargers fan and complaining about the circadian rhythms that are broken by playing Sunday at 1, p- 1 p.m. Right. All right, so the hot head needs the hot reads. Uh, let, let, let's hope he does not get that. And I would love to see him irritated just as much as the last game. Now, as far as the Ravens, a big key in this game is going to be Lamar Jackson, of course. And he's up to 10 fumbles for the, for the season. Eight in the, uh, in the, or I guess eight straight games with a fumble. Mm-hmm. And he always in the, in the post game, he always, uh, gets upset with himself for fumbling. So he's he's blaming himself, which is good, but he needs to still. It's not helping on the field. Yeah, he's, you you may remember this. I don't know if you've read the book Earl Weaver. It's everything you learn after you know it all that counts. Have you, right. ever, have you ever seen it? I haven't read it. I've heard of it. 
Okay, outstanding book anyway. Outstanding book on leadership, period. But Weaver talked about his interaction with Earl Williams, who was a catcher for the for the Orioles in the 1970s. Before your time? Entirely? A, a little bit. Just a little okay. bit. Okay, and, and you really mean just a little bit. He was 73, 74 years you know, with the Orioles. Ken, I always I always feel like I'm getting old as my kids grow up and stuff. And, <laughs> and then you talk to and me. And <laughs> I turned I turned 39 in a couple of weeks, so I feel that pressure of 40. And then I do the show with you, and I'm like, all right, I'm I'm a young kid still. Yeah, you're not you're not bad. You're not bad off. So anyway, Earl Williams came to came to the Orioles in a very ill advised trade prior to the 1973 season. They traded away four players. Uh, Dave Johnson was included. And he immediately had 43 home runs for the Braves that year. So anyway, Earl Williams came. He was a catcher, and the Ravens, the Ravens, the Orioles, uh, you know, wanted a big bat in the middle of the lineup. The big thing was Earl Williams didn't have any interest in playing catcher. He hated the position. He hated basically taking infield and being a catcher who would even catch the ball coming back and toss it to the fungo guy. He hated it that much. And, and he would do anything he could to get out of get out of work. The other thing he would do, and, and, he, and he got in trouble for this in Boston one time, was he went out into the middle of the night, was late arriving for a game, and the the Orioles faced Bill Lee. It was a left-handed left-handed pitcher who all great right-handed powers hitters really crushed. At least if they could hit the breaking ball a little bit. And Williams was one of those guys, and he had to sit out. The Orioles lost one to nothing, and. Weaver was just furious at it. But the thing he said about Earl Williams was he wanted to like the guy. He was he was intelligent, and he would always come back, and he'd be very contrite about, you know, I, I want to address all of my deficiencies, and I'd like to just sit down here and try and work with you on a, a plan to do that, whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's basically you know, you're forced into this enabling thing by the fact the other guy is coming to you and being contrite about this. Well, Lamar Jackson is not a performance problem yet. But he can't just be contrite about lost fumbles the way Earl Williams was contrite about all of these other horrible things that he was doing. Uh, it, it's it's really he has to he has to figure out how to really address this problem. And so I think he's got how many fumbles on the season right now? Ten. Five? No, no, it's more than that. No, I'm, okay. I'm looking at it right now. Seven, ten. It looks like twelve fumbles okay. on the year. All right, twelve. So, um, but anyway, it's uh, right, you know what? It was ten before Sunday. That's probably it. That's probably it. Okay. So anyway. Uh, it, 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 it takes more than contrition at this point to figure out, you know, what's wrong and, and where do you need to go with this? There's, there's, I wish it was one type of fumble that was getting him. Like if it was the quarterback center exchange, that's, that's probably something you can fix fairly quickly. It's right. not that. <laughs> you know, well, it's, he does have a good amount with the, with the, uh, the, the play action handoff that, that has struggled with yes. him. So yeah, that's one point. that definitely is an area where they, they need to be working on. Yeah, very good point. So, the, getting that mesh point right and 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 how that works is is a that's multiple people involved in that. And Jackson's getting yes. charged with all those fumbles, even though a, you know a couple of them probably are not his fault, at least. Um, I definitely agree. There's some type of communication going on there sometimes where they're not sure who's actually keeping the ball. Right. I think I might, you know, I don't know, and it'd be interesting to hear. If I have a running back on the show, maybe, or have Lamar for that matter, and, and talk about you know what what kind of how do you communicate with each other in terms of leaving the ball or getting the ball? But I think that Jackson is supposed to have as much control as he wants in terms of waiting to take that ball away. So I don't think he has to actually give a verbal clue, but I could be wrong about that. I, I, th I think they talk. I think it's a little take it, take it, take it. Okay. Or, or, or keep, keep, keep. I, okay. think, I think they got to communicate. I mean, it, I, 
think if there's anything we learned with Skura is there's a lot more talking that goes on the field that we don't see. Sure. That's a good point. Uh, I, I, I'd love to hear the mechanics of that someday and, and, and really get into that. But anyway, uh, yeah, Ravens cannot afford to lose the turnover battle in this one. I don't think they ever can. In fact, you know, the Ravens have been very fortunate and they played some bad teams and they've generally dominated, but the, the Ravens can't get behind in a game. I mean, if, if we see that, the first game that they really get behind during the playoffs, I think they're going to lose. So uh, can they be behind three to nothing? Okay, sure. Can they be behind, you know, right. You're talking seven 10 to, to 14, yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking about two, two if, scores. If you're down, down 10, yeah, that's bad. Right, and that's, and that's the thing we keep talking about. We haven't seen that test yet for this offense. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, let's get to our MVPs before we get to the mailbag. And Ken, it looks like you're cheating again this week. So uh, (laughs) let's start with your number three. Calling me out here again. Okay, well, I gave number three to Lamar Jackson. Jackson certainly made big plays in this game. Could have had three TDs if a you know fairly silly holding call had not been called, had had not been uh, thrown on Williams. Uh, He also gave the ball away that turned the game around or almost turned the game around at the goal line. So I had to, had to kind of penalize him for that. I would have otherwise probably given him the number one in this game. Certainly I'm, I'm perfectly aware Jackson is really driving the offense in terms of the ability he brings to the field and the constraints he puts upon the defense. But, uh, but that's obviously a serious problem to fumble the ball at the goal line. Uh, my number three is Crabtree simply because he went two for two. We didn't have to talk about another Crabtree drop. There you go. Okay. I'm going to go with Kenneth Dixon. As my number uh, two guy, uh, huge runs in this game. Uh, Dixon looks like a man running possessed right now in terms of his, his ability and desire to run hard, run through tackles. Uh, 37, 20, 15, and 13 runs in this game. Uh, definitely, I, I, there are a lot of people at midseason who thought the return of Dixon was going to be a big non-factor for this team. It's been anything yeah. but that in the Lamar offense. He's been really important. Yep, and you say I don't give the offensive line uh, praise, so I'm going to give it to Stanley this week. I know he had the one uh, sack, but otherwise he played pretty good. Fair enough. Okay, he had a good game. So my number one, I'm, I'm going to allow them to share it, and the reason is that they share a very important duty for the Ravens, but Yonda and Brown share it. Yonda got an A+. Plus. He, if, if I had to choose one, he'd be the one, so just so you know. Um, but Brown and Yonda are really driving the Ravens' ability to run the ball to the right side. Brown actually creates movement and creates some bulldozing. And he does more than that, though. He, he gets to the point he needs to in level two to make either excellent seal blocks or excellent kickouts that keep one side of that hole open. Yanda's done the same thing, typically sealing to the inside, occasionally kicking out, where he moves into level two, gets his body turned, torques that defender so that he's perpendicular to the run. And that keeps the lane open, gets those guys to level two, and then those guys have been effective breaking tackles in level two. Exactly what the Ravens have needed. They've, they've, the four-man wedge that the Ravens are throwing at almost every run play, though, is some combination of Max Williams throwing a block off motion. It can, sometimes it can be another tight end, but Max Williams has been the one in this game who's really effective. Uh, it's Hurst pulling through that a hole on the right side, and then it's Yonda and Brown holding either both sides or one side of that hole wide open. And it's a very effective formula, and that's why they ran it 22 times this last game. All right, and my number one is to Raven fans for showing up and filling up the stadium after all the talk this season about attendance issues. Uh, when a big game came to town, the fans stepped up and filled it out. Yeah, it was, it was a very fun, fun, fun environment. Rarely 
it's been so many it's been so long since I can remember the last game that had that kind of an electric environment to it but the fans were loud they were loud all games so much fun well I can I feel like you're going to get another one of those on Sunday that might even be larger sure hope so I think so alright let's get to the mailbag this is where you get in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag or you can be like this guy whose question we're going to start with Australian Ravens fan he puts in his name who went to Birdland Sports, clicked on Film Study, and entered his question right there. So his question is, are you surprised that C.J. Mosley has the has had the green dot for the last two weeks? Wink suggested that this is a week-to-week decision. Do you buy this, and do you think it contributed to the breakdowns in the secondary against the Browns? Um, I think the more that Weddle does not have to run around should actually reduce breakdowns in the secondary because when you think about it, Weddle's not talking to anybody else in the secondary. So he should, he should, uh, uh, he should be, him without the green dot should actually help in terms of setting that defense at the front seven appropriately and, and not have that, yeah, and getting him positioned to, to do it. So I don't, I don't know that I really buy that. Um, what happened in the in the secondary in this game? It was a it was a combination of things. I think Jefferson was a little bit exploited on the back end. I think Weddle probably was a little bit exploited as well. Uh, they bit on some routes badly. They came, they were they came up to the line of scrimmage instead of staying back. When they were back, there were multiple deep threats. There were multiple verticals, and you can't either have to be incredibly patient or you have to be Ed Reed, the you know the the dark right. lord of the secondary, basically who can fool the quarterback into into making whatever he throw he wants and still get there. <laughs> and if if you don't have you know those kind of abilities, and neither of our guys is that kind of a back end safety. Neither Jefferson nor Weddle has the ability to manipulate the quarterback in that way. Um, then you know you you just don't have it. Weddle's obviously a little slower than he used to be, um, but they just obviously ran, ran multiple vertical routes. They got behind safeties with much greater ease than they had before. All right. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show about the mess in the in uh, Pittsburgh. There's also a little bit of mess down in Jacksonville, and Matt wants to know if the Jags have fallen out with Fournette, should the Ravens look to them for an offseason trade for someone they can pair with LJ? Well, you know, it was one thing we've talked about all year is basically that Gus Edwards is a fairly average NFL back, and that may be a little generous. Right, he's a big, say, he's undrafted. He's, a, he's not yeah, undrafted. Big back fits our scheme, but he's great because Lamar Jackson makes him great. Yes, and the Ravens scheme makes him great. He's a scheme back. Leonard Fournette in this system would break a lot more tackles. He'd be much more effective. In fact, it'd make Jackson more effective too in his own running to have a, a, a guy like Fournette around. Um, it's a, it's an interesting idea. Now, Fournette is a first-round draft pick, an expensive guy. I do think the Ravens need to look for another big back as well as probably another shifty back who's a receiver, maybe both by draft, trade, free, free agency, whatever it may be, and find two guys to, to, to basically come in and supplement the Ravens running back group. It could be that Ty Montgomery, by the way, hangs around. He's a free agent, but it could be he's a, he's a reasonable fit. I do think they, they need – the guy they need is more like a uh, Danny Woodhead type back, a, a, a receiver, Larry yeah. Centers. You know, I, I, in, a, in an right. ideal world, you go back to the 1970s Colts, and Lydell Mitchell would be ideal in this offense, a great combined runner-receiver. You know, you obviously have to spend a pretty high draft pick to get that guy, so I'm not suggesting that they can easily do it. Fournette might be the best chance to get the highest-end runner 
that's available. And, and, and so from that perspective, I think the idea is good. He makes first-round money, so he's not right. real cheap. And I don't think the Jags are looking to get rid of Fournette. They did fire their running backs coach after the altercation, so they want to keep him happy. You know, that's a good point. That's a really good point. That's a great indication that they want to keep Fournette and, and you know, obviously star player comes ahead of uh, meh coach. In yeah, terms no, of, normally. Uh, Just yes. looking Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you, you have that. But, but in addition, I think that if even if the Ravens were willing to trade Flacco, say, I think that the Ravens would still be tossing in change in that trade. I don't think you could have Fournette right now for a what would be the equivalent of say a third round pick, which is kind of the top end of where I think that what I think the Ravens are likely to get for Flacco. Now, who knows if there are three or four bidders? Who knows how Flacco could, you know, how much the Ravens could get for Flacco? So it's it's almost like it's a segmented market. It's it's going to be we'll have to see exactly exactly how it plays out. But there's a lot of teams now looking for quarterbacks. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the draft. It's the best time you could possibly have to be ready to to move on from Flacco and trade him. Do you, do you pair Flacco with John Harbaugh and, and trade him together? You know, the, the whole thing about about playing, uh, about Harbaugh going to Denver, I think is very overplayed. I, I don't see that as, as a real possibility. I think Elway is more or less fishing with regard to the thing. He'd be happy to pay uh, Harbaugh a lot of money to be out there. Um, I In the most extreme case, I think you could call it tampering. Because right now they're in contract talks with Harbaugh. Harbaugh's under contract. You're not supposed to freaking go out and say, sure. hey, wait a minute. You're, we, we want you. Don't sign another contract. We want you at the end of this year in free agency. In fact, why don't we send the offer sheet to you right now kind of thing. Well, that's, that's a weird situation for John Harbaugh too because when there's right now there's eight vacancies and all the talk is if Harbaugh was out there, he'd be the number one candidate for all of these jobs. So why would you sign an extension Unless they're going, the Ravens are going to give you a buttload of money and ten years. I mean, I he, Harbaugh could make a lot more money somewhere else, probably yes. if if he is a, if he gets to the point where he's a free agent. So he he can certainly make that choice in this coming year. But you know, the the normal way you do it is in the NFL and in, and in Major League Baseball. You've seen this right. as well. Is you, you're you're signed one year ahead of the current year, so just let, just things like that cannot happen. Exactly. But it sure sounds like that John Harbaugh could easily go the Joe Flacco route of let, let me prove that I, you need to pay me. And that's if if that's the case, then the Ravens need to worry about their head coaching situation next year. If if they can't come to a extension agreement during this offseason, then they'll have to figure it out. Gotcha. All right, uh, Maryland Law So Hard gets in. Do you think the option play was the right call? And why not try just a safe slant and not a, such a risky play to pitch it? Yeah, I, I, I heartily concur with that observation. So he's talking about the third and five play on the Ravens' final drive, their final effective drive, where they needed a first down to try and win that game. I would have been okay passing on any of the three downs there, by the way. I would have preferred to pass on second down to third because of the additional sellout pressure you're going to get on third down. But the second down opportunity was the best chance to pass. But I agree, slant pass, I like that a lot better than what they did do in that situation, which is run a very dangerous-looking pitch play that, as they pointed out on TV, wasn't going anywhere even if it had been collected. Montgomery was going to go down for a, you know, probably a loss on the play. Certainly not not for anything close to a first down. So uh, 
Uh, yeah, it was a bad call, I thought, and it was a you know obviously a very bad result in terms of of what happened. But very much agree that was a high risk play. All right, uh, Josiah wants to know why are the Ravens' red zone successes so low? Yeah, so they had a lot more success with Flacco in the red zone than they've had with Jackson. Obviously, a compressed field means less space, and Jackson more than other players needs space. If Flacco has no matter what you you know want to think about Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco had the ability to run the sneak that that improves the, the Ravens' chances in short yardage. He also has better accuracy and a better ability to put the ball right on the spot it needs to be for timing plays in the end zone. And we've saw him fail on a lot of fade routes over the years. A lot of that was about having having not having as good targets as a lot of other teams had. Where he's been real successful is throwing those zipper plays that are they call it zipper because it's between those hash marks but goes up high between the goalposts for a receiver going up there. And Anquan Bolden in the 2012 postseason, we saw a lot of that from. And I think we, we could, you know, we that was some of what was successful about the Ravens. They also ran misdirection. They got players outside, whereas other teams now are very much concerned about defending the entire field, and the entire field isn't very much inside the 10-yard line for uh, – uh, for Jackson, so it's uh, it makes it more difficult for him, and, and probably the increase in difficulty is more for Jackson than it would be for Joe. All right, and you're just setting up John Prestiani's question. Any chance the Ravens start using Joe from within the ten yard line? <laughs> I, you know, if they didn't do it this last game, I don't think they're going to do it. But the third and one op- opportunity was the ideal time they were going to put the, try and put the game away. The Browns were very much stacked to prevent the quarterback sneak as it was. And then to see Lamar effectively throw a piece of spaghetti at the refrigerator the way he did with that that run play, you know, a, a, a jump and dive play, where he wasn't close enough to extend the ball. Then he did extend the ball and got knocked loose. It's just it's a very high-risk play, and it's the kind of play, you know, that does not bode well for fumbles. It probably doesn't bode well for injury decisions that Lamar will make the rest of his career. He's just got to get smarter about – not taking chances with the football and his body in that same way. All right. Uh, Mr. Ed gets in. Did it appear that the Ravens had no audible or check ready when Cleveland started shifting the defensive line? Yeah, that's exactly what it appeared like. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about the need to have some hot calls ready to go to exactly beat that kind of a defensive realignment. Because effectively, Cleveland showed that they were selling out against the run on those plays where they did that. And you need to have some answer for it. And I certainly hope they don't go into the Chargers game thinking, oh, there's no chance of the Chargers having something similar they try and do to sell it against the run. The Chargers have other assets. The Chargers get much more creative about how they do it. But the Ravens better be thinking about this week about what happens when the Chargers use Derwin James in a different way. What what if they come with the run blitz with Derwin James off the edge? Well, if we think back in Ravens history – Joe Flacco's big fumble with Palomalo off the edge that got the game turned around against the Ravens one year. It's just the kind of thing that the Ravens need to have a preformed answer for that question that, that they're ready to present when that, you know, the, the, yeah. the Chargers show it. Yep. All right, let's look ahead. Uh, let's get two more questions to look ahead to Sunday. And the first one up is Connor. Uh, what big things should the Ravens do differently on offense rather than the compared to the first time they played the Chargers? Is it ball, okay. ball control? Um, it, they didn't control the ball in the second half, which I think really comes down to make better 
uh, offensive adjustment when the other team sells out against the run. So they've got to have another answer other than just keep running the ball exclusively in the second half. And I, I you know, this could be the game where the Ravens get in a hole, and then they're going to need to do a lot of other things to try and catch up, obviously. But it, it, it definitely is one where it cannot be the run exclusively or just use their effectiveness at running the ball against every other team they've had. So they've had, they've had six teams that have been extremely weak run defenses they've played, including the Browns, and they've had the Chargers. And now they're playing the Chargers again. Well, the Chargers are able to stop the run. In fact, the Browns were able to stop the run at the end of that game. And you better figure out what else you have in your bag of tricks when you're playing the Chargers again in a playoff game. Right. So, it seems like that answer is not Joe Flacco. No, I don't right. think the answer is Joe Flacco. Right. But I think the answer is is finding other pass plays for Lamar, other uh, you know, a few other one-word plays that they can have ready to, to right. toss in there at the, at the appropriate time. So expanding that limited playbook. All there right, uh, Big Dilly gets in. Both teams are going to be coming into this game with changes. Do the Chargers have the ability to gouge us the way Baker did, scrambling uh, with fast receivers, et cetera, or will they have to find a different way to success? If uh, so, where are we the weakest on defense? Okay, I, I think they will have to find a different way to success. The, the big thing that's special about the Browns that made them so good at it, I mean, I guess there's a couple things. One is, Mayfield has a little ability to scramble, but it wasn't really on those plays. It was on the ability. Mayfield was best when he was just sitting in the pocket and had ample time and space. So uh, what I'd say is, is the Browns' speed at wide receiver was, was really deadly to the Ravens and, the, and their ability to run multiple verticals and really challenge the decision-making of the safeties uh, was what was really very, very effective. The Chargers don't have that kind of team speed and that kind of speed among their wide receivers to do that. They have some speed, but they don't, they don't have a lot. And I don't think they'll be able to do it that way. How they will be able to do it is they'll be able to do all kinds of other schematic things to get tight ends free in the middle of the field and potentially to take advantage of linebackers if, if the Ravens use that in coverage or you know to force the Ravens to take some of their back-end assets off, you know, cover linebackers, and then they'll get some opportunities deeper. But they can't do it strictly with vertical routes. They're, they're going to have to do it with a combination of using the strengths of their tight ends and using that strength to get their wide receivers some better opportunities. Right. The the Chargers did win this past Sunday, uh, but we have been seeing these past few weeks Phillip Rivers really struggle after getting a lot of praise for how he's been leading out there. <laughs> I did not actually see what his final statistics were against the, I, against the Broncos. I know three straight games he's uh, thrown an interception in their first possession. Wow. So, okay. Uh, yeah, for a veteran guy who we've really been praising this season – uh, teams are getting in his head and have found a way to get the ball. If the Ravens can start that out and continue that success by getting a getting a turnover early in the game, I think that's uh, going to be good for the Ravens. Yeah, real good point. Okay, so Rivers, a 60.4 rating in the last game, one TD, two interceptions, threw for only 176. Amazingly, the Bengals, sorry, the Broncos didn't sack him, but that's a very good point, Josh. Yeah. All right, Ken, uh, let's point everyone over to Russell Street Report, and your article is already up there? No, it's not. The, the offensive okay. line article is not yet up there. It will be, and, and much more detail about the individual plays, and, and if you want to go back and review on Game Pass, that's the place to look. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. Josh, tell them about Birdland Sports. Uh, yeah, Birdland Sports is where you can go and find uh, Film Study. You can find Section 336, brand new episode, and you can find... Uh, Birdland a BS, which is another Baltimore sports talk. Section 336, lots of Raven talk this week. And I've got one uh, 
di- one different request for our listeners. Um, my daughter is working on a project about the Colts leaving Baltimore, and she needs to interview some uh, Baltimore Colts fans. So if you grew up a Baltimore Colts fan uh, and can help out with that, please hit me up on Twitter at Josh Soroka. Oh, that's a, that's a, I'm sure that's a cool thing. We're talking a 10-minute interview probably? Oh, yeah, at max. At max, okay. like 10 questions. Uh, it's neat. She's doing a history project on, and she had to pick something that was a tragedy that eventually, uh, and how someone overcame it into triumph. So she decided, uh, because my family is so passionate about sports, and especially Ravens and um, and Orioles, and she knows that growing up, I was not allowed to be a Redskins fan because of hatred for the Skins because of the Colts leaving. She decided, well, let me look at this. So the tragedy of the, is the Colts leaving and the triumph is finally winning a Super Bowl in uh, 2001. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Put me down. I, I, I plan to reach out to you, Ken. So thank you for that. All right, Ken. Well, we will uh, talk soon. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.